Welcome to Fireside Conversations. This is the podcast where we discuss vision, we go deeper into sermon topics, and we take on topics that are better suited for a conversation than a statement. What's going on? You guys are giving me a funny look. We're giving us professional, our professional nods. Yeah, we're we all sit. very professional. We are. Yeah. Um, I'm Connor. And I'm Andy. I'm Kate. And today we're going to be talking about our value of the unseen over the seen. And we've been going through uh, our fireside values that we've been kind of reworking lately. And we've been discussing them in our sermons and our podcasts. So we're going to go deep into this one. And I think if you've been around our church for any amount of time, you know that uh, suffering well, having joy in suffering, just suffering in general is a a big thing that we talk about Mm -hmm. um, that's very close to our church um, and our our church's story, but is also... uh, just a very central value in the the life of the early church that Mm. we sometimes miss in, in America. Um, so in in Kate unpack the idea Mm. of unseen over the scene, how'd you land on that Mm -hmm. language? What does that mean to you? Yeah. The value is that we want to be strong sufferers and I'm in a pastor's group for church planners and, I was talking to a guy who saw that as one of our values and thought that was very interesting as a church. But as he got to know our story, it made sense. And what we have realized through our suffering with losing our oldest daughter to a four-year battle of cancer is that everybody's suffering to some extent. Mm -hmm. And we as believers are not exempt from suffering. Uh, it is promised that we will suffer in the Bible. Mm. And so the question is, how do we respond to it? And I think as a church, we want to be strong sufferers. Um, the word rejoice in our suffering is what the scriptures say. And that's a loaded word. And what does that, what does that mean? And I think there's a difference between joy, where rejoice comes from, and happiness. And you can be happy as an emotion based on your circumstances. I'm happy when the Patriots win. I'm sad when they lose. But joy is, is more of an internal perspective, a, a kingdom mind, a, a Jesus lens of that we can have joy knowing that God is who he is, that God is in control in the midst of our suffering. And I also think it's more powerful in how we respond to our suffering than we respond to our blessing. And so if we as a church can be strong sufferers, I believe that people will look at us and say, I want that. How can I have joy in the midst of our suffering? Well, and I think, I think for us, it's almost like when you, when you are walking a road where you find yourself in a pediatric cancer world, it's almost like it opens you up to hear other people's stories and the hard things that they're going through. And so I think early on, as we started to hear people's stories, you start to realize that your view of suffering and the way that you process it and see it in your life is very much connected to your faith and your relationship with God. And so if we as a church can have a proper mindset on what this is, instead of setting ourselves up to walk away from our faith that 
we can view suffering as something that is an opportunity to draw closer to God. And I think that's, that's not everyone's story. Not everyone encounters hardship and ends up coming out with their faith intact. And so I feel like that also became obvious really early on. Well, 80% of parents who lose a child to pediatric cancer end in divorce. Mm. And so that just shows you that the response, the majority of the response is kind of destruction. I remember the first time, uh, the first week Ellie was admitted, we found this tumor the size of a cantaloupe, Mm. bad news, and they wanted us to tour the Jimmy Fund. And if you're from around here, the Jimmy Fund is the pediatric cancer outpatient um, ward. Mm-hmm. And Kate went, and this was before Ellie lost her hair, before she had any signs of cancer. And you just go and you just see kids in midst of treatment. And you're thinking, I didn't sign up for this. This yeah. wasn't supposed to be my story. Right. I didn't choose this. And there's something in us that feels like when we see other people suffer, and and I know like no one would say this, but there's almost this attitude as, oh, you had chosen this, like you've chosen to be in a wheelchair, chosen to be a divorce. Mm. And and, and no one really believes that, but there's this like, yeah, like kind of like that will never be me. Like this, this is stuff that happens to other people. Yes. This this is not stuff that happens to me. And yeah. I remember thinking in yeah. that moment, yeah. this is us. This is, we are in this, you know. We are those people. We yeah. are those people. Mm-hmm. And how are we going to respond to it? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I, th- I think I think that's so true. I think that's how a lot of us look at it. And we know that suffering is something that's out there. Um, but we don't ever think it's going to come to us. Mm. And maybe like little things like, all right, I know I'm going to be late to work or whatever, but mm. the big things, right, that we we never expect that it's going to come to us. And something that I've reflected on is that I think growing up, I had, you know, growing up in suburban America in a, a good family and everything, I had this idea of the world that, you know, the norm was that things go well, you have a roof on your head, you have food you have your loved ones you're cared for you're loved you're generally happy that that is like the baseline the norm of life Mm -hmm. and then the exceptions are these situations where people suffer Mm -hmm. and and go through hard things and i had like a rude awakening towards the end of high school um that that has continued as i've Mm -hmm. gotten older i'm just starting to see that no like suffering is is the norm Mm. not you know things going well Mm. and i think that's a truth that the rest of the world and most people through the rest of history have known but us and you know well and i think it, it you're you're hitting at the heart of what what andy what you were just saying of you know, rejoicing and suffering and, and your perspective is like, if your baseline is you expect things to be pretty much okay, then what you're saying is your starting point. If you're expecting suffering, if you understand that a part living in a broken world is going to result in brokenness, then everything is gratitude. Everything is a gift. And I think 
the Western world in particular has a really hard time with not viewing those things as just a given. And so then the gratitude is gone. There is no, it's only what we've come to deserve and yeah. earn ourselves. And, and then we've, then we've been cheated out of things and, and it just feels totally different. Right. I just posted this on Ellie's Warriors for Father's Day that, you know, if we view life as, if we view blessings as things that are owed to us, you know, we are owed kids, we are owed health, we are owed a good job, we yeah. are owed this American yeah. dream, then the world will fail us. And yeah. we, many of you listening can testify saying, you know what, like I didn't get a lot of the things that I thought was owed to me. But if you viewed them as gifts, as Kate was saying, your attitude would be of gratitude. And so thank you. Thank you for these gifts, these blessings. And it changes your perspective. And then the question is, you know, how are you going to steward these gifts? And how are you going to respond to your suffering? Mm. We, Andy and I and a few others, were on a big hike yes. a few days ago. We hiked the, the presidentials in the White Mountains. And we met a couple guys that uh, ended up hiking with us. And one of the guys shared with me a quote that was like, uh, your suffering is someone else's dream. Mm, and I think about yeah. sometimes like, you know, you catch yourself like worrying about finances or like whatever. And then you think about like, all right, I'm in a house, like mm-hmm. I'm going to get food, like mm. I'm going to be okay. And you think about how much someone, you know, from a third world country struggling to feed their kids, considering giving up a child in order to mm. feed the others, you know, how much they would give to be in the difficult situation that Mm. that you're in and yeah that's perspective is everything yeah first world problems is a thing i remember coming from the hospital like the first time we left i had um a cart filled with stuffed animals and all these gifts that were lavished on ellie and i went down the elevator with a woman who said does it help you to think that there's kids who are worse off and I, and I pondered that. And I'm thinking, no, that, that doesn't help. Um, but I think that there is a variety of suffering. You know, not everyone lost a child. Not everyone is going through the things that you're going through, whosoever is listening. But in student ministry, one thing that um, I would tell our leaders is validate the emotions, not the circumstance. Mm. If, a, if someone's feeling that way... Don't try to write it off, you know, like, hey, so like in student ministry, hey, you were just dating them for five months you were just texting, you know, get over it. But their emotions are their emotions. And hopefully through conversation, maybe they'll come to a revelation that, yeah, this wasn't a big deal. Maybe. But validate the emotions, not the circumstance, because people will respond emotionally different to different circumstances. And so I think as we walk alongside people uh, in the sermon that I preached about this, Rick Warren, who lost his son to suicide, says the best thing we can do is show up and shut up. Yeah. You know, we don't always have to say it's going to be okay because it's not. Like, what is okay? That's a worldly term, right? right, right. In a spiritual realm, yeah, it will be okay. And you may not be okay until you are dead yourself face to face with the God Almighty. Yeah. But show up, be there for people, and don't try to explain away their suffering. Join them in their suffering. Right. And pain is relative to, like, you know, if depending on what you've gone through yourself, like for a. Uh, you know, for a middle schooler or high schooler going through like a breakup, that might be the hardest thing they've ever gone through, mm-hmm. you know? And so for them, that's huge. Like, you know, to 
bring up hiking again. It's like, you know, if you if you take someone who's, you know, never gone on a hike and you throw them on the, you know, mm-hmm. presidentials <laughs> like we did, like, it, I mean, it was hard for us, but, you know, it'd be even, mm-hmm. be even harder. And I think when you've, it, it's all relative and you, sometimes people feel like they can't talk about the things they're going through because, you know, there's someone else in the room who's going through something right. way worse, but... Uh, yeah, I love that validating the emotions, but not the circumstance. When you guys are getting at, you know, why why this is a value of our church, both, you know, our own personal journeys with pain and suffering and how we view ourselves and God in the midst of all that. But also as a church, you know, we're a community. And so how can we suffer with people? And, you know, how can we come alongside people in a good way and not in a, you know, a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of being able to endure suffering has to do with what you've set up before it happens. You know, the idea like you're not building your um, ship before the storm arrives. You know, you want to have your ducks in a row. You want to have your community around you. And so before your season of suffering comes to be able to be in community, which is why we have such a high value on just people being connected to people. We just want everyone to have people so that, when something happens, when we know something will happen, that they have someone that can come alongside of them. And um, we know how powerful that has been in our story, um, how life-changing that has been to have someone with you through it. And so I think Mm. that's something that we really want to see for everybody at our church, everybody in our community. Yeah, Mm. we follow uh, the Wolfs, who are a couple who she had a... um, was it a brain aneurysm Mm -hmm. and just had a battle and she's in a wheelchair now and suffering is kind of their wheelhouse. And they say, prepare for pain that if we know that we will suffer, you know, that Jesus says in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart of overcome the world. It's not if it's It's you will, you know, are you in a position when pain comes that you have people around you? And when we were going through our stuff, it was just amazing. You know, we had people come and they built a room for Ellie. She couldn't share our bathroom. We have one bathroom in our home. So we had people build a bathroom. Our car broke down going back and forth to Boston and someone gifted us a Honda Pilot. It's just amazing. And a lot of people will say, hey, you know, um, this is because you were pastors. And, you know, there may be some truth to that but i'd also say like we want to be a church that it you don't have to be a positional leader to uh to have people come alongside you you know mm-hmm. paul says you know when one member of the body suffers we all suffer with it so we want to have people like kate said people who have people so right now if you're saying you know i'm on cruise control actually life is like okay like i've never heard anyone say that like it's perfect <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> you know like every relationship's good my job's good my marriage is great kids great no but if you're in a place where like there's no big thing in your life you know put yourself in a position and prepare mm-hmm. yourself for pain and that's not a doom and gloom like oh like what's yeah. gonna happen next it's just being community and when you fall you have people to lift you up mm-hmm. yeah i would say even if you're not you know in a in a perfect position Right. Or in a, right. In an okay position right. that, you know, there's something about when you like, you know, when, when you have your problems going on and you have anxiety about them, like there's, there's not many things that reduce anxiety, like taking on someone else's mm. problems, obviously not to the extent where you're like, 
you know, not think about yourself, just, right. but like just coming along someone else in their suffering totally puts your things into perspective yeah. and like, that's what Jesus did, right? Yeah. Like he, he was God, but he didn't, you know, he, he, he left his throne. He became a human. He suffered with us. He's God with us. Mm. He suffered alongside us and on our behalf and empathized with us in that way. And, you know, that's what we're called to. Like, we're called to to suffer with other people and suffer along other people. And, you know, if, if you're someone who wants to be like Christ, like, that is such a defining characteristic of Jesus that he, like, everything was fine for him. He's God. Mm. Like, he was totally comfortable, you know. Mm. And he chose, like, to to come down and put himself into people's mess. And, like, why did he do that? Like, why would he choose to bring in someone else's mm. mess when he could have just been on his own? And I think there's something there that that mm. is, like, that's what, you know, life is about. I think this is such a huge value of Fireside that when we talk about Fireside, it's not a place you attend. It's a place you're a part of. Mm-hmm. And I've heard so many people who are attending a church meaning they just would check the box, whether it's a Sunday thing they went to or maybe they're involved in a program. And then when something happens in their life where they need people, they, they're not in a position where they have people. And they view the church as an organization and not like a family. Yeah. And so we want, we're really high on relationships. Why? Because then you can, one, you can share your suffering with each other. You can talk about it. You're, you're not going to do that on a sitting forward facing on a Sunday morning gathering, but you're going to do that in circles. You're going to do that at barbecues mm. and getting to know people. And then two, when suffering does happen in your life, you have people who care about you, you know, that, you know, there are people who say, Hey, this happened in my life and my church didn't do anything to me. And my question is, well, did, did the church even know, do okay. they know your suffering or did they even know you, you know, and in that kind of environment, you know, it's easy for a church to say, here's a program, here's a check, but that's not what we want. We want yeah. people to like show up and shut up, right? We yeah. want people to be there in their life. So when we do, you know, we want everyone to be on a team to serve together. We want everyone to be on a table. We want everyone to be in a crew. We want everyone to be a part of this. Why? Because when you fall, there are people to catch you yeah. and to help you. And those are things that only being a part of a church can happen, not just attending. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think like the way the way we approach church, the way we approach everything in America is so individualistic. Like mm. everything is focused on like me, my relationship with God. I remember even like a few years back, like learning the Lord's Prayer and just I, w- I started like praying it and I was really like rubbed by being like our father give us our daily bread I was like I'm gonna change this to like my like I'm praying <laughs> and then like a little while later like mm. I I heard someone talking about it like no this is like the value that Jesus is trying to get across that like the mm. Lord's Prayer is trying to get us to like care about other people and mm. it's like never oh, even my... thought of that Connor that's right like, I was just like mind blown. like why would I pray our like <laughs> yeah. I'm praying for me <laughs> you know yeah. and I think like we we do this when we're at church like we're we're there for us we're like what can I get out of this and we're even in worship like we're singing a song and it's like maybe it's a song about like 
you know, suffering or something. We have a lot of those like, you know, I'll praise you on the mountain. I'll praise you when the mountain's mm-hmm. in my way. And we, we think, okay, what am I going through right now? Mm-hmm. I'm not really going through anything. Like, I don't know if I connect with this song right now, but it's like, what's the person in the mm-hmm. seat next to you going yeah. through? What's like the person behind you going yeah. through? And that like communal idea of like, we're following Jesus together and like being mindful of what other people are going through. And mm-hmm. when you're, when you're there for other people and you're, you're, there for other people's like suffering then when you suffer like mm. you have people there for you well and i think <laughs> even as we're talking I, this this conversation this theme can get dark and negative real quick if it's like all i'm thinking about is my suffering <laughs> and if i'm not suffering then people around me and then that that is our that is what we want to be doing but the conversation about suffering is just quickly also hand in hand with a conversation about hope. And Mm -hmm. I think our value of like the unseen over the seen is linked to the idea that what we see, what we see is what people are literally going through, their circumstances, their outer world, um, what they're struggling with emotionally. But the unseen is that we believe there is more to the story, that there is that God is doing something in the midst of it. And so I feel like that's good for me to think about because if, you know, if you get laser focused on this broken world, that can't be the end of the sentence. There has to be, um, I know, I think Andy, did you say, um, the verse in James, you know, consider it pure joy when you face trials of, of many kinds. And that word consider is Mm. an accounting term that says, you know, something that you would view as a negative from your your bank balance, consider that, ch- ch- uh, translate that into a positive, translate that into a deposit. And, and so I think that's what we're talking about when we say the seen versus the unseen, that we want to look at, at these things differently with a lot of hope. Hope is such a key thing. Mm. You know, um, we really believe that Ellie was going to be healed and and we had hope that God could do it, and we thought God would do it. And I look back, and God had other plans for that, but that hope is what got us through some of the hardest things. And now on the other side of Ellie's homecoming, our hope is that she's in the arms of Jesus in heaven in eternity. And without hope, you're just in despair, and you're just thinking, what is this world? Because then your hope is in a world that has failed us in so many ways. And so after Ellie passed, I became obsessed with heaven and eternity and God's kingdom. And what does that look like? And when you have that perspective and when you look at the Bible through that, it changes everything and makes our life on this earth, you know, that is broken, manageable because, you know, we have a hope, right? I was listening to a, a sermon just the other day talking about hope that when you know something's at the end, you can kind of get through it, you know, like yeah. when, when you're, when we were hiking, right? Like, right. we know that there's an end and as my body was breaking <laughs> and my feet were like blistering, yeah. like if I knew that this was an endless hike, if, if this was the Appalachian Trail where I had like 2,000 miles left, yeah. 
I would have given up. Right. But I knew that there was an end. Mm-hmm. And knowing that there was an end gave me hope to finish. And I believe all of us listening that we need to live life knowing that there is an end, mm-hmm. that our ending is in the arms of the Father, where there will be no more suffering, there will be no more tears, there will be no more pain, that we will be with Jesus in paradise. And that Ellie completed her race and she had a life fulfilled, not cut short. It was a life fulfilled. And that hope makes us rejoice in that, Mm -hmm. that she is now in the arms of heaven in perfection. And we actually are the ones suffering here on earth in this broken world, but we are still here called on a mission Mm -hmm. in hopes that other people would have Mm -hmm. that same hope that Mm -hmm. we have as believers. Good stuff. Yeah, I I love what you you said about like like knowing knowing what the outcome is and and that our hope is it's not just this like blind optimism right. that our hope is is in God and our hope is is based on what God says that mm. that what is to come is is better and and puts into perspective what we're facing right now. And I think so many people are are trying to do hope without that faith and without hmm. you know who Jesus yeah. is and it's this like oh like you're you're just trying to hope and like oh it'll be better I, right. I think like you're just trying to make yourself believe it'll be better but it's not based on anything well God I want to read this verse I think this really sums up this value this is Paul in first Thess- Thess- I can never say Thessalonians Thessalonians. There you go. Like a, Moses had a speech impediment. So Steve and I wrote a so song cute. about that one time. <laughs> but this is what it says in chapter 4, verse 13. So that you do not grieve. This is He's talking to believers. That believers, Christians don't have to grieve like the rest of the world who have no hope. For we believe mm-hmm. that Jesus died and rose again. That mm-hmm. as believers, we have hope that we right. don't act like the rest of the world that we don't grieve like them that doesn't mean we don't grieve right it's not saying don't grieve it's a don't grieve like them who are hopeless mm. that we are still you know uh, emotional human beings that can grieve that are saddened but that we have an understanding of who jesus is and what he's done and therefore we have hope mm. right yeah we can't we can't have hope without without mm. jesus mm. right and yeah, that's like that's why we keep coming together is to like remind ourselves of that. We sing these songs to remind ourselves to to plant ourselves in that in that truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need that. We need that understanding of who Jesus is, what He's doing, mm-hmm. in order to have that hope. And we can't just like muscle ourselves into hope mm-hmm. and white knuckle it. Um, yeah, the the Bible talks a ton about this idea of joy and suffering and i think that's common enough of a phrase where it's not a surprising thing to hear but it is a surprising thing to see and i think when people see people being joyful in their suffering they're very caught off guard by it and uh you know in you guys i've seen that a lot um would you just talk briefly about you know how you're able to find joy and suffering and what that means to have joy and suffering and um again that that doesn't assume that you know you're always in that place or that Mm. you know there's of course there's a there's a time of there's time for mourning and there's time for grief and there's time for uncertainty but Mm. but how do you 
how do you hold yourselves together? Hmm. I mean, I think what you guys are talking about, our eternal hope of, you know, in the end, we are with him forever. And, and that is nothing can take away us, you know, nothing can take that away from us. I think there's this other piece of that God will make what we are going through right now matter. And that ultimately, don't you think it comes down to the belief that there is this good God that is writing a good story for your life? And I know um, when I know, Andy, you mentioned Catherine Wolf. This is a big, a big theme of her story. She'll talk about this idea that, you know, at the end of the day, it might not look good, but you believe that it is a good story. And, you know, when Romans 8 talks about, you know, that our our light and momentary, that's our light and momentary trials. Mm-hmm. That's how the, that that's how he describes it will not compare to the glory that will be revealed in us. So, yeah. so we're believing that even as we are going through this thing that doesn't look good, that doesn't sound good, that doesn't feel good, we can believe that a good God is at work revealing glory, revealing his glory, and that it mm-hmm. won't even compare. It's not even on the same page. It's not even on the same block. It, that's how big it's going to be compared to what we're going through. So I don't think that it's so much that there's this thing that makes it feel better, but there's this belief that it will matter that kind of allows you to say, mm. okay, keep going, <laughs> keep going, keep, mm. keep taking the next step. I think that that's so, so true that, you know, we are meant called to suffer. And I think when we say, be strong sufferers. That doesn't mean don't feel the pains of suffering. And I, I just want to reiterate that yeah, because I think right. a lot of people will say, you know, oh, don't worry, God's got this. It's not saying man up, right? Yeah. Cowboy up, right? Jesus, yeah. we're gonna were to cry, you know, mm. when Lazarus died and he raised him from the dead. He gave into emotions because he was fully human, mm. and we can cry. I, yeah. I encourage you to cry. I encourage you <laughs> right to cry <laughs> and and feel the pain because that's what makes us human. Um, in my sermon, I talk about um, you know Phil Bianzi's book where he's, he researched leprosy, which is the right. disease of having no pain. And at the end, he says, thank God for pain because pain helps us navigate life. It keeps us aware of things that we need to address and goes on and on and on. But I think having this eternal perspective of hope doesn't necessarily lessen the pain, but can give us joy in the midst of pain. And I know that sounds hard and weird. Uh, my dad, when he passed away, I wasn't happy about it, but I, mm-hmm. I was filled with joy. You know, I was filled with joy. Um, I don't know if I'm there yet with Ellie, to be completely honest, but mm-hmm. I do. There are times where, you know, when Kate and I look at each other and say, she's completed the race. You know, mm-hmm. she's won. And could it be that, you know, instead of everyone seeing a God who could heal mm-hmm. something that the world said was incurable and praising God for that, could it be more powerful to see our response in this circumstance of how we haven't given up on God, knowing that God hasn't given up on us? And I think that's almost more powerful that mm-hmm. if we had a church, you know, a fireside was a, a group of people who responded counterculturally to the world like that is more powerful than anything i've had people come up to me and and say like you know um 
your response in this makes me want to have response to my suffering. How can I do that? And it's just through Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And I think it's more powerful than anything because, you know, it's easy to say, hey, you know, um, believe in Jesus and he's going to make everything okay and he's going to heal anything and da, 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 da. One, it makes you take advantage of Jesus. And two, it makes you not trust in him, right? And yeah. it just becomes bad theology. You know, talk about prosperity gospel that yeah, he's yeah. going to, he's for you. That doesn't mean he's not, he's gonna not going to give you everything, <laughs> you know? And could it be that God using something like Ellie's situation, and, and I've seen this, that taking her out of this temporary world, because it's a temporary world, so others could be a part of his eternal world. Mm. And I've seen people, and I don't know if they would have or not, but I know that because of Ellie's story, that I believe that they will have an eternal story. Mm. That they will be of... And what do you think Jesus wants more? For us to be happy here or to be with him for eternity? And I think it's a no-brainer, eternity. And can God use things? Because I and, and I don't want to get into like, does God cause it or allow it or whatever? But could God use this yeah. for his eternal purpose? And to that I say, yeah. absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, he mm. takes what the enemy meant for evil and he turns it for good. Mm. Yes. Right. Mm. And uh yeah, I, I had a pastor who would say like suffering and miracles are, are very similar and that they they accomplish a very similar thing. Like if you read the the book of Acts, like if there's two things that are defining of the early church, it's going through suffering and, mm. and seeing miracles. Yep. Like they saw tons of healings and just signs and wonders, but mm. then they're also like, they're being martyred, they're being beat, they're going mm. through all these crazy things, and yet they still um, serve God. They still, they still follow Jesus. And I think that you know when there's a a miracle healing or something and people go man there's no way this could have happened naturalistically this must mm-hmm. have been god's intervention mm-hmm. and i think a similar things ha- thing happens when you see people going through something so great mm-hmm. going through you know losing a child there are few things imaginable that are worse than that and when you see people going through that that are continuing to follow Jesus, continuing to serve other people, continuing to to choose to stay in their marriage, to to stay in it and to keep pursuing good things. When you see that, you're like, there's no naturalistic explanation for this. And it, it, it points you back to God's intervention in it. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, in a, a place like America where we all have it pretty good that that maybe the the suffering, seeing God's intervention in the midst of our suffering, can be even more powerful than seeing His intervention in a healing. Mm. Because you know you can you can say, oh, this was the doctors or this was that or or whatever, but it's very hard to write off someone being faithful in the midst of extreme mm. suffering. It's very hard to give another explanation or reason for it. I think it just shines Jesus so clearly. And where you see healings the most are in places where suffering is most common. Right. You know, and in America, suffering is not 
common and yeah. comparative to a developing country. Right. And they are used to suffering. And when they see a healing that really like, you know, people becoming, you know, miraculously healed, you know, it's powerful. It, it mm. is very, very um, powerful. I think Paul, you know, I, I love what Paul says. He says, you know, uh, to me to die is to gain, you know, he yeah. had a glimpse of heaven mm-hmm. um, and, and he talks about that. And so he knew, and he says, it's better off for me to be with Jesus. He says this, but it's better for you for me to be here because I can tell you about Jesus. And so for me, it puts things in perspective. Like, yes, our home eternally is way better than our temporary home here. But because we are still here, we are on a mission. Yeah. And and we have purpose. And that's what Paul's saying, that my purpose is to preach Jesus, to show Jesus. And I believe that's not just to Paul or to pastors. That's for everyone who claims Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that your purpose in life and how you do that could vary, but your purpose in life is to yep. shine the light of Jesus. Yep. And it is better for you to be in the arms of Jesus in paradise. But because you're here, live your purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. That's so good. Well, as we're wrapping up, I'd love to just kind of end with, you know, someone listening to this, they're, they're going through, um, some suffering, some difficult circumstances, some trials, what would be, uh, your, your words to them? Mm. Say one, you're not alone. Yeah. Um, there are others, if not everyone who's suffering. So you're not alone. And I say two, you know, um, be open about it, you know, um, go to those, if you haven't prepared for pain, start now, (laughs) you know, putting yourself in position where you have people. And I think that we have a society where we just don't want to feel like we are in need and that's okay. Let your pride go and be honest and, you know, lean into where you feel God is calling you in terms of what you feel like you need. I think I would say that God is near to the brokenhearted Mm. and that even if it doesn't feel like he is, he is. And that almost always God is in the process of revealing something about himself in this. And so, um, just to hold on to that, um, that knowing that he is near, even if he doesn't feel near. Mm. And, um, sometimes it's only in hindsight that we can see that clearly when we look back on, on the season and say, wow, look how God showed up there. Mm. But sometimes Mm. in the moment it can be hard to see and you just have to hold on knowing that it's true. It just is true. We met with a family who lost their daughter and some, he said, sometimes when you can't read the word, let the word carry you. Mm. And I thought that was very profound for where we are at. You know, what you know, who you know Jesus to be, let that carry you through. And even in those times where you don't feel him, nor nor have a hard time seeing him, just trust and know that he is there the whole time. Um, Ellie, when she was going through the hardest part of her treatment, you know, she said that Jesus was holding her hand, you know, and she said she saw angels um, at the end that even though God seemed like he was distance is that feeling was probably him feeling distance is probably when he was actually the closest mm. and he was carrying us 
through. And so just know that he's there, he's with you, he's for you. And um, just believe in that. Mm. That's so good. Yeah, God is God is with you. He he hasn't forgot you. I think you know the the impulse when suffering hits is that we feel like God messed something up. Like mm. God, this isn't supposed to happen. And just that reminder of like he's he's still there. And he's, recognize the enemy because the enemy's going to try to tell you that he's not. Mm. The enemy's yeah. going to try to tell you that you're abandoned that you're alone, that God isn't real, that he's not for you. Right. And I think other people, and this is what I found, is that sometimes when I can't decipher that, I have people in my life who can. And they'll say, no, that's not of the Lord. That's actually mm. of the enemy. Mm-hmm. And so to recognize you know, what's of God and what's of the enemy. And I, and I know that for some of you, that may sound like, how do I know? Just, you know, talk with others. And if, if there's things in your life where you believe that, God's not there and, and has abandoned you. That, that's not God. That That is the enemy trying to tell you that. Yeah, that's really good. I love that too of like, we talked about this a lot today of that idea of doing it together, you know, and not, not isolating when you're going through suffering, but just being vulnerable. And our, we, we hope to be a church where people feel like they don't need to put on the right professional christian right face that they can just uh they can just come in and be vulnerable and feel like they can be a part of a community where they're at going through what they're going through and that we can uh we can just keep looking at jesus together through mm-hmm. all this mm-hmm. yeah um thank you guys this is yeah. a uh this was a serious conversation yeah. definitely um, and I just hope that uh, for any of you out there that um, this is helpful for you in some way. And uh, yeah, just keep keep your eyes on him and let's keep our eyes on him mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. Have a great day, guys. Bye, guys. Bye.